Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. Mark Saltzman is a self-proclaimed technology evangelist. As a super popular and well-respected freelance journalist for over 25 publications, including USA Today and Costco Connection Magazine, Mark covers innovation in consumer tech and translates what he calls geek speak into street speak. Today on The Voice of Retail, I catch up with Mark and we get the scoop on the latest trends in consumer technology. First, Mark gives us a highlight reel of the recent CES conference, a show that has been the global stage for technology innovation for over 50 years. Then we look at what to expect this year in the tech and electronics retail space. And I didn't find there was one big trend as we've seen in previous years where one year it's like, okay, it's all about TVs. And another year it's like, all right, smart home gear, that's it. But it was kind of a a real mix, a healthy mix of uh, various consumer electronics trends and uh, products to populate those trends. So yeah, some of the big ones were still home entertainment and uh, smart home automotive tech increasingly mm-hmm. plays uh, a key role, maybe not as relevant to your listeners. Let's listen in now. Mark, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great, Michael. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you it. You and I were sharing off mic. I think the last time we saw each other in real life, we were passing ships in the night in the hallway at uh, CP24 or something like that. And that was a while ago, right? <laughs> IRL, as they say, in real life. That was, yeah, pre-pandemic for sure. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like a tr- I was on CP24 this week, actually, and it's funny because, you know, um, at least from my perspective as, as an industry expert, you know, you come on and you get a few seconds or a minute or two. And it used to be, you know, you spend a couple hours to get a minute or two. Now, I got to say, you know, I flip on the camera, you say basically the same stuff, and I'm in and out of there in five minutes. So, I'm, hey, you know, maybe it's a bit of an upside. There are some advantages. Yeah. You know, I I agree. On one hand, it's more convenient because I don't have to drive to the station and find parking and, you know, and all that. But, you know, doing it from my home office is certainly more convenient. And I'm still going to use a little bit of makeup. not going to (laughs) lie. But... uh, So it's, it's, it's just that I'm doing it myself instead of somebody yeah. else uh, powdering me up. And then, yeah, you're right. It's it's a uh, quick and dirty kind of thing. But yeah, it's fun, whether it's virtual or in person. I do miss some of that. I've only done a couple of in-person hits since the start of the pandemic, and I, I do miss that. But there are some benefits to staying home, that's for sure. Well, you miss that kind of, like everything else, like conferences, like whatever, trade shows, like whatever. You miss that kind of personal cues and interaction. We're all missing yeah. that, but uh, hopefully... Uh, this this too shall pass. Well, listen, thanks for joining me on the podcast. And you're a very familiar name to Canadians. In fact, people from around North America, you've done you've done so well. In fact, I've, oh, I've thank you. seen you in one of my prior stops in the career at the Shopping Channel. I mean, you've been just, <laughs> uh, you know, you've, you've done such a great job. But um, for those that might know the name, but maybe not have know all about you, get, just give us a, a bit of background of your professional personal journey and what you do and and the different places that you uh, that you participate in and broadcast and and how you spend your time yeah thank you again for the kind words so i for the last 25 years i've been a technology evangelist i like to preach about the benefits of technology not to say that there aren't some downsides because there certainly are uh some side effects but you know uh my most of my work is uh, i'm a freelance journalist so I write for about 25 different publications. I'm a weekly mm. contributor to USA Today, which is probably my biggest gig in terms of circulation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been doing that for 23 years every week. I uh, write for AARP in the U.S. and Zoomer in Canada. So that's for uh, retirees, seniors, yeah. Yeah. Um, many of which are not retired, but they are yeah. seniors. Uh, I write for Costco Connection 
magazine. And yeah, funny I see enough, in that. Yeah, I yeah, see you know, in that. Funny. Time, in the yeah. States, it's now the number one monthly magazine in terms <laughs> <Come> of <on. laughs> circulation and readership. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I, you know, it's not, like the TV, what, but nobody reads the TV guide anymore. Remember when we used to get the TV guide to uh, deliver yeah. that little pocketbook? Yeah. Some, somehow it's still very successful. I'm on Costco TVs as well in the States. Like it's in a loop, but educating people about uh, tech, you know, at, at the point of sale to just yeah, make yeah. sure that they have a more ed, of an educated, you know, purchase, right? Because it can be very overwhelming. And that leads me to what, like, what my sort of secret sauce is, if you will. And that's breaking down geek speak into street speak. So that's what I try to do. As you can tell, I write for very mainstream publications. I don't write for techie magazines mm-hmm. anymore. I used to write for Wired and CNET.com and all that. And I really love seeing that light bulb go off, with it, whether it's through a reader, you know, based on their, their email feedback or what have you. Uh, uh, the radio shows that I produce and host in Canada and the U.S., in the States, it's called Tech It Out. In Canada, it's called Tech Talk. Or with the TV work that I do, I just love being able to demystify tech and not just celebrate it. So take me back a, a couple of clicks in your in your history. Is this something you always wanted to do? Did you grow up wanting to write and be a journalist? Or is it something that found you? Like, wh- where was that intersection point? Yeah, so that would be the latter. I had no interest in tech. I liked video <laughs> games like any other young sure teenage boy. Sure. But um, no, I went to U of T. I went to University of Toronto for psych mm-hmm. only as a backup because I thought I was going to be the drummer of a heavy metal band. <laughs> and I was, and it helped pay my way through university. It helped to uh, pay my tuition. But I was the drummer and manager of a band called Remedy. It was like hard rock, not heavy metal. It's kind of like the cult, if you will. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. We opened up for the Tragically Hip and wow. uh, the, the Goo Goo Dolls we played with and uh, bare, bare Naked Ladies and Our Lady Peace. So it was fun. But after I had graduated when I was 24, 23 rather, mm-hmm. and uh, just realizing, okay, maybe this music thing, I've been giving it a go for so long, it's maybe not yeah. for me. And I knew I wasn't going to be a psychologist, even though that's what I went to, did my undergrad degree in. Um, I, I realized that if I wrote about video games, uh, I would get them for free. So it was a means to an end. <laughs> so I convinced a local Toronto newspaper called Toronto Computes to let me review video games, computer games, uh, mm-hmm. for them. And that way it enough to pay uh, for them. And then the company sent them to me and then it expanded from there. I wrote f- uh, about more than just games. I branched out to other kinds of tech mm-hmm. gadgets. Weren't really a thing yet. And of course apps weren't yet. I'm mm-hmm. still 20 years away, but, um, yeah, it just expanded. And then I wrote for bigger and bigger publications going from like Toronto computes to the Toronto star to the national post to mm-hmm. USA today and, and CNN.com. And then I started to do more broadcast work in the late 90s. I was hosting, starting to host my own radio shows and a regular on like Canadian stations like Global TV and, and CTV. Mm-hmm. And then I got a gig with CNN in 2001. Thank you to Peter Kent, who mm-hmm. uh, became a politician after his yeah. broadcast I work work Peter. at Global. I worked yeah, with did Peter you really? uh, at uh, CanWest Media when it was Amazing. Can West and, uh, and National. He was a great guy. I, I, yeah, I amazing really guy. It. So altruistic. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wrote this glowing email about me to somebody at Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta. And they did offer me a full-time job. I politely declined mm-hmm. and stayed with them as a freelance contributor, uh, traveling to Atlanta a lot for the uh, early 2000s. Uh, and then, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Now I host my own show on Bloomberg in the States. And mm-hmm. so it's been a fun journey. But no, I the short answer is I did not grow up a techie. I was not uh, into that. I was a rocker. Yeah. And R- RIP uh, Meatloaf today. Uh, oh, my God. I was really lo- sad to hear about today. that. I just what a set that. of pipes that guy, man. He sure what did. Now, a lot of the credit has to go to Jim Steinman, who wrote a lot of his uh, iconic songs. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really liked Meatloaf. And of course, he was in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Of course. I've seen the musical based on his 
his work as well. Yeah. So yeah, I posted today that uh, yeah he had passed, and uh, I already mm-hmm. went on to Spotify and started playing some of his songs. But, yeah, yeah. Fun, I, I was doing the same <laughs> thing this morning, and I was you know I, I I actually you know I was thinking of Meatloaf and his family, and it, it, he sounded like he was with his family when he passed. So yeah, you know. only seventy four years old, young. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, young, mm-hmm. young, young. Um, well, listen, let's. Um, yeah, first of all, again, congratulations to your success. I mean, lots of people aspire to be, you know, aspire to do what you do, but you've got you've developed such a great voice, so to speak. Thank uh, you. And, and narrative. Let's uh, let's talk about um, you know what got me thinking about you uh, was CES, and of course the big trade show that happens in January. Many retailers and many people go to CES. I mean, many it's hundreds of thousands this year. Many less uh, <laughs> went to CES, and I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure of you made eighty thousand. It was forty thousand. Oh, so. Wow, yeah, like big, yeah. big, big, big. Yeah. It's still big numbers. Right? So forty thousand people in the same place. It's it's pretty. It's still pretty impressive. Now, usually, many of my listeners, uh, if they were buyers of electronics uh, in the retail space or themselves, just electronics fans would have kind of made the journey. So I thought I'd start off with uh, your impressions of the show and not not as much like what, you know, what retailers need to be thinking about for their back of the house electronics or any of that. I did see some announcements from um, from Walmart CEO talking about, uh, you know, driverless cars and electric uh, yeah. vehicles. But did you yeah. see or did you get a vibe, uh, you know, a lot of companies, not all, like to launch their new electronics that eventually wind up on the shelves of the retailers listening uh, did you see anything jump out at you? Just give me an overall vibe of the show as if, you know, many of my listeners uh, didn't mm-hmm. go. Maybe, you know, walk us through what your vibe of the show was this year. Yeah, so, and I also covered the show remotely. I, I decided around New Year's Eve not mm-hmm. to to go to uh, to the show in person, just to err on the side of caution. So right. I did cover it uh, virtually. And I didn't find there was one big trend, as we've seen in previous years, where one year it's like, okay, it's all about TVs. And right. another year it's like, all right, smart home gear, that's it. But mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a real mix, a healthy mix of uh, various consumer electronics trends and uh, products to populate those trends. So, yeah, some of the big ones were still home entertainment and uh, smart home automotive tech increasingly mm-hmm. plays mm-hmm. Uh, a key role, maybe not as relevant to your listeners. But, you know, over the years, uh, car technology, including electrification and automation of, mm-hmm. of vehicles, mm-hmm. continues to be a big trend. Uh, but there wasn't one, you know, shut the front door kind of product that uh, I would say just blew my socks off kind of thing. Um, it, was a, it was a lot more evolutionary than revolutionary this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that has anything to do with the pandemic, but I, just, I think just naturally in the normal sort of cycle of things, mm-hmm. you're not going to always have earth shattering years yeah. with new launches, but still really impressive. I, I mean, I think, you know, because of uh, COVID, a lot of people are still working from home where it's more of a hybrid approach. Mm-hmm. Same with school. So we saw some innovations in the laptop department. We saw a lot more foldable, bendable laptop mm-hmm. screens using mm-hmm. OLED technology. So Asus showed their ZenBook uh, 17. That's a 17-inch tablet, essentially, but it can be folded in half to put away into your bag you know, or your purse. Uh, and then mm. when it is fully opened, you can connect a Bluetooth keyboard, which you get with it, or use your fingertips or a digital pen, if you like. Mm. Or it could be used like, you know, folded in half. So like the bottom half is like flush against your desk or table, but then you have mm. it curved up. So that's kind of like a, a virtual neat. laptop or held like a book. You know, you're huh. holding it like a novel and yeah. flipping through the pages with your fingertip. That was neat. And then Lenovo had this uh, also 17-inch laptop called the ThinkBook Plus Gen 3 that has a secondary screen. Okay. So you've got the primary ultra-wide 17-inch display, which is a 21 by 10 aspect ratio, which is huge, but also an 8-inch touchscreen to the right of the keyboard. So that's great for multitaskers. So imagine you're on a Zoom call on the main yeah. screen. You yeah. can take notes with the digital pen, which is included, uh, on the smaller screen. 
and it, it, uh, it transcribes feels, your it, handwriting into text. That's really neat because it does feel like a lot of smart people would be thinking, okay, uh, lots of people are working or learning or playing at home, probably will not go back to the same numbers in the office. So we, we should probably start creating innovations for people working at home. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting listening to your description because not everybody's got a lot of space at home. Um, maybe they need a lot of versatility. You know, that second yeah. screen just kind of jumps out at me. At that yeah, eye. and both of those laptops are examples mm-hmm. of versatility for sure. And some mm-hmm. other applications for that uh, mm-hmm. Lenovo with that second screen is, so one, as I said, taking notes. Another one would be if you're a an accountant or a bookkeeper or even a math student, you can make that second screen a giant calculator. Uh-huh. You know, so it's just right off to the right of the keyboard, right? So that's where the calculator keys, usually, the number keys usually are anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if you are a digital artist, you can use the digital pen on the, you know, using it as a palette kind of thing. And your main screen is like your canvas, mm-hmm. right? Or if you put your phone, so, you know, a Lenovo. Or whiteboarding, right? There's some really great whiteboarding apps. Yep, that that's another people application. People are using for collaborating, right? And that, because uh, uh, Motorola is the same company, like Moto phones, whatever, they have this mm-hmm. uh, proprietary tech that if you move your uh, Android or iOS device near that second screen, you can have a mirror it. So hmm. then now you can put away the phone after that and then take a call on the laptop or yeah. again, really driving home that versatility factor. So that was, that was something I think that stood out hmm. for me this year. It's not always a big year for computers. And then with TVs, you know, bigger, thinner, lighter, yeah. smarter, faster. I guess the last innovation <laughs> in TVs was probably 4k, right? I guess would be the last major milestone. Major. Yeah. There's hmm. been 8k and 16k, but <laughs> there's not even content to justify <laughs> that yet. How clear, how clear does that get? I mean, I have to need eye surgery to get. I know, right? Uh, It's a good point. And and I I say it's too early to consider 8K. And there's a lot of 8K TVs on the market. Really, I still think it's uh, worth considering. Unless you sit Mm -hmm. really close to your 4K TV, you will see some imperfections. Not to the same extent as you would with an HD TV, but you will see, you know, the pixels or whatever. But if you have an 8K, yeah, it's yeah even better. But not worth the price, in my opinion. Not to mention. as I said, there's not a lot of 8K content, content yeah, shy of yeah. some YouTube videos, but it will upscale or upconvert, mm. you know, HD or 4K content to near 8K quality, but it's not quite the same. Well, it, and it's an important time. We're, we're talking here in uh, late January. The Super Bowl is always a little bump up in uh, big screen TVs. And of course, um, you know, right now with uh, folks a little bit limited in their choice about what they can go outside and do entertainment. I think TV sales are having a, having a bit of a moment uh, yet again for the home. You know, one last question about TVs. I'm just kind of personally curious, and, and I know I've, I saw it come and go, the kind of wrapped TVs, the ones that weren't flat, flush, but they kind of wrapped, and everyone's saying that was going to be the next thing, and then they disappeared. Was that just a, you know, it feels like sometimes, uh, you know, these little trends come in, and they're a bit of a frill, and they fall away. But do you remember what I mean? You know, yeah, the, yeah, the curved, TVs, curved TVs. Curved TVs, yeah. TVs yeah. They're not really available anymore. You're right. Uh, the, the market sort of dictated that people want flat. Hmm. Um, and they want to mount it to their wall. So you can't really mount a curved TV and have it look sort of normal. Yeah. It doesn't look... <laughs> I've seen someone try to do it. It doesn't look right. It's so funny I, how the aesthetics matter, right, yeah. when it comes to TVs. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, you still want... It's a piece of furniture in some ways, right? It's yeah, still in fact, a lot of the... TV makers are embracing this, like, you know, what do you do when the TV's turned off? Do you want a big black rectangle a re- yeah, yeah. rectangle on your wall? No. Yeah. So companies like uh, Samsung and LG have, like, different kinds of, they call it different things. With Samsung, the model's called the frame. 
you know, where mm-hmm. you can even actually mm-hmm. change the uh, borders of the TV with these mani- magnetic frames that affix to wow. the side, the four sides of the TV, even with a wood finish, if you like. Um, and LG has the same sort of gallery vibe where it's got like real wor- like real artwork on right. the screen in low energy mode. So it's not yeah. going to make much of an impact on your uh, utility bill, on your hydro bill, but it, it makes it pretty, you know, it makes it look yeah, like a yeah. piece of art when it's not turned on. When it's not on. Yeah, so I've seen that kind of thing. I've seen um, LG had this uh, OBJE TV, O-B-J-E-T, sounds very fancy, mm. and it covers the TV with a fabric when you're not watching it. So again, <laughs> really? trying to it's blend like it to smart. your decor. Yeah, you can even have it partially covered, so you can show like traffic and, sorry, mm. like weather and and, yeah. and and time and stuff like that, news headlines, and then uh, fully unopened is just like to look like any other TV. So they're experimenting, but yeah, you do find sometimes... The TV makers want to try to give you a reason to upgrade, like 3D TV didn't take off. And I don't know right, if the consumer right. wanted that. I don't think so. I think the TV companies wanted to mm-hmm. push that. And then similarly curved. You know, it's nice to have options as a consumer, sure, but sure. that didn't last. And now you can buy, forget CES, because that's always going to be premium, premium. But yeah. you can buy now like a 60-inch TV for under $500. That's going to be 4K with yeah. high dynamic <laughs> range or HDR. It's going to have wow. built-in smarts, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, d- downloading apps. It's amazing. It's it's really amazing. You know, is that, does anything surprise you that you thought would be a big trend that uh, that wasn't? So, for example, when I think of conversational commerce or, you know, Alexa in the car or any of these things, you know, there's, there's certainly lots of these devices in homes, but it feels like it was a big trend that never realized its fullness and maybe it's just timing, but is there anything like that you can think of that you uh, thought, wow, this is going to be big, this will be something, and then it just kind of fizzled in? Um, so no, I would actually argue that in the home, smart speakers and just using your mm-hmm. voice as an interface has really taken off. I think Amazon just recently announced that there are almost at 250 million Alexa devices uh, sold. So I think that just because it's the barrier, you know, breaking down those barriers of entry, you know, how do you get to, how do you interface with your tech if you're not so techie? And I think voice support, whether it's on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, your smart TV, and now your smart home devices like lighting and video doorbells and mm-hmm. Wi-Fi thermostats, I really think it's come of age. That I was like, I thought that was a game changer. When, mm. what, seven years ago, we saw Alexa and then followed shortly by Google Assistant. And Siri, of natural course, the old-fashioned Siri keep, keeps, keeps coming in, right? I mean, Siri's, yeah, got Siri, it. Siri's on every device, so, you know, it's got numbers. Siri was it. one of the first. Apple acquired the, mm. the nuance, like the company that was making uh, uh, Siri, and, and they were one of the first. I wrote a funny, sort of shameless plug here, but I wrote the book Siri for Dummies. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to be the de facto smart assistant or virtual yeah. assistant, but it, it, they... It, that quickly became eclipsed by Google Assistant and Amazon, just a lot smarter. Mm. And uh, Siri, I think, is still in third place. Do you, but, th- um, do you think yeah. that that is the case? Because we know, and, and Amazon has said the case, uh, that they they track and they listen to improve the how well it listens. But you are being listened to um, in behind the scenes up in the cloud. Do you think, because Apple's taken a stronger stand on privacy, that they're, that it's impacted the efficiency or effectiveness of Siri? That's a really, that's a really good mm. question, Michael. Mm. It is true that Apple, and I will give them kudos for that, maybe with the exception of the Air, Air Tags, which is a bit of a privacy mm. nightmare. But yeah, there's uh, a bit I of a downside they, to those, right? Yeah, People yeah. finding Air Tags attached to the back of their license plates. I mean, yeah, yeah. But I think that. Apple, for the most part, mm. they take uh, privacy and security 
uh, more seriously than than their competitors. Yeah, so I'll give mm-hmm. them credit where credit's due. Yep. Uh, and it is true that uh, both Amazon and Google, and I think to a lesser extent Apple, but it, it is, they do collect data, but it's all anonymized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, you know, Amazon doesn't know that you, Michael, like listening to Meatloaf, but it will know what the most popular questions are that are asked and what time of the day and what device are you using sure. Alexa on? And, you know, it'll be anonymized, but that data is invaluable. And I can tell you that it does get better over time. Uh, just anecdotally, my son, Ethan, my youngest, who's now 17, he, he's a bit of a mumbler. My wife, Kelly and I are always like, what? <laughs> Say that again, clearly, please. <laughs> low talker. I, I call uh, yeah, him yeah, yeah, one of low talkers for Seinfeld fans out there. Exactly. But uh, his Alexa speaker understands him like amazingly. Huh? So what I did huh? as an experiment was I deleted, you can do this for all your smart speakers, as you can choose to delete your data that's collected. Um, and um, th- what happened was when I did that with his Echo is when we started from scratch, it didn't understand him again until like a couple of weeks later through trial and error, it starts to understand how you say the letter A and Mm. what's your sort of cadence. And it it learns all that. And then now it's like as good as it used to be, but it wasn't when I deleted all of his data. So there are some benefits to it, but Mm. yeah, any privacy, anybody who's like serious about privacy will not have a smart speaker in their home. You know, it's a bit of a trade off convenience versus uh, privacy, but I'm not worried if someone wants to know that I listened to Milo the day that he died, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, (laughs) Slippery slope, I guess, but yeah, thin edge of the wedge or camel's nose in the tents or whatever. But uh, yeah, I got like a half a dozen of these devices everywhere. So I find them more useful than I love it. I, as a music fan, just circling Mm. back to what I was into as a, as a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, just the, the idea of asking for one of 70 million songs uh, through unbelievable, right? Spotify or Apple yeah. Music or whatever, yeah. just by asking for it is mind-blowing, and it delivers it immediately for $10 a month or $15 a month, whatever. Yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. And you can even say, by the way, um, cover version of the song or live version of yeah. the song or yeah. alternate version of that song. You know, yeah. or, you know it's, it's amazing, and then the AI understands what you're asking. And people can ask to listen to your podcast too, right? That's another big thing. They could just say your name and you probably come up with That's a five it, yeah, thank choices. you. Yeah. Listen to Tech It Out with Mark Salton. There you go. There thank you. Go. you. <laughs> You're everywhere. There's the shameless plug. Talk about there. shameless plugs, there but yeah, you, you set go. me up for that one. There you go. Softball for you. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, predictions for the coming year. Uh, let's see how, 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 how your crystal ball is working. Is there anything that's on your mind for 2022? We've already talked about, you know, there's some, you know, more and more people working at home. We've gone through this COVID mm-hmm. era. We're not quite done it yet. That's got to change some stuff. Anything, anything that you've seen? I mean, you have a lot of great relationships with some very international, very big electronics companies. I'm sure they share a bit of what's in the tickle trunk. What are you, what are you thinking for 2020? Yeah. And here you are nice enough to invite me onto your podcast that specializes in retail uh, trends. And so I prepared this whole chat about where retail is going in the future, but, uh, I won't, so I won't answer the question with that lens, but if you want to chat about that, I'd love to come back yeah. on another time, but yeah. for uh, tech trends going forward, I think the smartphone is going to continue to be the most critical tool that we have in our arsenal. You know, um, it's gonna, you know, obviously we're using it now to show our, our vaccine passports and all that, but I mean, 90% or I think, sorry, 86 and a half percent of Canadians have a smartphone. But I think that number is going to continue to climb. And if you are, you know, south of 30, then it's like 90 something percent, as you might expect. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, this is going to continue to be an essential tool for the next couple of years. Um, and then what's going to happen is that we are going to start um, offsetting some of that, some of that uh, sort of work that we do on our phones to uh, wearable devices. Mm-hmm. So we are going to have more wearable, like things like glasses, smart watches, um, 
smart clothing and mm-hmm. like we're going to be able to rely more on things without having to hold anything we're going to be able to access more information have that data collected and analyzed like your sleep tracking and all that without needing a phone at all mm-hmm. already with apple watch um and samsung and some other smart watches you don't need uh even to have your phone nearby anymore if you opt for the ten dollar a month you know e-sim you know you can mm-hmm. use your phone uh mm-hmm. through a pair of wireless earbuds like apple uh you know uh airpods pro or, or beats fit pro or whatever and and take a call you can use your voice through your smart assistant to uh, you know send a text or send an email or add to a calendar appointment yeah whatever stream music so i think you're we're going to rely but we're still climbing as far as the importance of the phone and the market share and then uh, and then it's going to start um uh start to decline as we uh diversify that kind of uh those applications we're going to use you know more and i think um another trend i would expect is still early days is the, the metaverse isn't just hype I do think that mm, even though it's mm. going to be a little bit farther than a year mm-hmm. from now, we are going to start seeing this continued blur between the digital and the physical. You think there's a there there when it comes to the metaverse? Oh, yeah. Well, it, yeah. It's a, it, it is a universe-sized question. I love. Thank you for offering to come back on. We'll get you back on a bit later in the season. kind of presumptuous of me, by the way. But. <laughs> no, no. Well, listen, I'd love to have you back on. Okay, last quick question. Any tech at home you can't do without? I mean, when we think about, you talk about smart speakers, or anything that jumps out that you go like, you cannot take this away yeah. from me what, what what comes to mind that's easy uh my ipad oh, and that's a device that i really questioned if i needed it before mm. it came out mm. so in 2010 go back you know 12 years yeah. when apple unveiled this i was like do we doesn't seem redundant to anybody don't we already have a smartphone and a laptop so mm. why do we need something kind of in the middle in terms of size and, and price and applications uh but this is the one device that i if you took it away from me, I would mm. be very upset. I, I'm a big reader. I love yeah. to read. So that's my go-to on my Kobo app on my iPad. Um, not for reading outside, I should caveat, but inside. Mm. Uh, I play games on it. I stream video to it. And when I'm not streaming video to it, I'm pushing it to my smart TV. So last night my wife and I were like, mm. hey, you want to watch something? I'm like, yeah, I've got it on my iPad. So I just tapped it and then it wirelessly, you know, through, I casted yeah, it yeah. to my TV. Uh, I read my news on it. I write mm-hmm. notes during meetings on it. I use it as a recorder. I use it as a camera, a video camera. Like that it's to me, I love the larger form factor. I know a smartphone mm-hmm. can do virtually all that. But I like uh, my 10-inch iPad, I have to say. Uh, and I'm not an Apple fanboy. I actually mm-hmm. use an Android smartphone and a Windows PC. Mm-hmm. But I love my iPad. I love the App Store. I love how reliable and like the the, uh, the OS is just rock solid. Um, I use my iPad more than any other device for 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 play, for communication, for for work. Love it. All right. Well, uh, my <laughs> guest is Mark Saltzman. You heard it here, and you can hear Mark across the world practically. Uh, any particular place you want to call out? I'll put lots of links in the show notes. Oh, it's so nice any, of you again. Any Michael. place you want to call out to um, yeah, your listeners. Twitter, what are they yeah, YouTube? sure. If your listeners are on social media, mm-hmm. uh, it's Mark Saltzman, Mark with a C, S-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N. I write a tech tip of the day. I link to my articles, uh, video interviews, my my podcasts. Uh, there's giveaways, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. All right, fantastic. Well, Mark, thanks again for joining me on The Voice of Retail. We've got to get you back. There's lots going on. Yeah, Look my pleasure. Yeah, Thank yeah, you thanks. so much. Have my a good pleasure. one. All the best. Thanks for tuning into this special episode of The Voice of Retail. If you haven't already, be sure and click and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so new episodes will land automatically twice a week. And check out my other retail industry media properties, The Remarkable Retail Podcast, Conversations with Commerce Next Podcast, and The Food Professor Podcast with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. 
Last but not least, if you're into barbecue, check out my all-new YouTube barbecue show, Last Request Barbecue, with new episodes each and every week. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company and Maven Media. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you.